Welcome to Pipeline, Profiles in Philosophy and Education. I'm your host, Winston C. Thompson. Pipeline is a monthly short-form interview program focused on contemporary scholars. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit pipeline.fm. Pipeline is made possible by the generous support of the Education Department of the University of New Hampshire. This episode, we're joined by Tal Gilead, Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Welcome to Pipeline. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. So, uh, as I mentioned to you previously, uh, our, our listeners are quite interested to know how you began doing philosophical work in education. Uh, what was your, uh, your entry into this world of philosophy of education? Well, I studied education. In Israel, we have an undergraduate degree in education, mm-hmm. which is something that is not very common here, I think. Yeah. And you do all types of educational studies in this degree. You do psychology of education, you do uh, sociology of education. So you get all the educational foundations. Mm. And one of the foundations that you get is educational philosophy. So you have to do a few basic courses in educational philosophy, but then if you are interested in it, you can do more and more courses. So I took a course on um, uh, radical pedagogy, and I took a course on uh, liberalism in education. And that got me interested in this field of philosophy of education. I just found that this is the most interesting question. What should men be? What do we want to educate for? And as someone studying education, it seems to me more interesting than the psychological or sociological question. It seems to me to be the first question I should answer. Okay. Yeah, so uh, that undergraduate work that you were doing uh, really saw you sort of uh, getting engaged with philosophical questions. Um, but So you mentioned sort of radical uh, uh, pedagogies, and you mentioned uh, questions of liberalism. I mean, so uh, are those issues that you've stuck with over time? Are, are those things that uh, at that moment uh, sort of uh, opened up the larger world of philosophy of education to you? Uh, how, how central? Well, I yeah. began to think about this question, but I actually took a turn in my studies when I went to a postgraduate degree. And I started to look at the history of educational philosophy. Okay. So it was interesting to understand where these ideas come from. Okay. And so I ended up doing a postgraduate degree in England, a PhD and a master's, okay. in writing about 18th century education, mm-hmm. because I thought that's where our way of thinking about education starts. Okay. So this is what I was interesting, in, interested in understanding. Where do we, these ideas of education come from? Right, right. Why do we think about education in the way we do? Where, where things changed from the old philosophies to the new ones? I see. And the 18th century was, for me, the time in which things changed. Okay. So you located the 18th century as this sort of uh, uh, crucial moment, uh, if you will, uh, that kind of gave us, uh, uh, it might be fair to say, our contemporary notions of education. Some of the things that we sort of uh, think of, perhaps many of us, as being unassailable or perhaps bedrock foundations for how uh, we think about what it means to educate and so forth. Um, but, but your interest, though, uh, uh, in education, I mean, so you mentioned being an undergraduate studying education and getting into philosophy of education, but why were you interested in education at that time? I mean, it wasn't, it doesn't, from the sounds of your story, it doesn't seem as though uh, you were interested in the philosophy of education and that's what led you as an undergraduate study education. Uh, what was it about education that attracted you? Yeah. For this, this serious study? 
Well, I guess a, f- a few things. First of all, it's a personal thing. Yeah. Uh, my mother is a kindergarten teacher. Okay, my father is a, is a university teacher. My grandmother was a teacher. Okay. So I was always so a part of education. Tradition, yes. uh, secondly, education, I think, is very important. Yeah. I think education is a way to change society, make things better. Yeah. So I was also attracted to that, and at least thinking and understanding how it works. Yeah. So this is why I came to it. Now, this, this, this notion of, of, of sort of change, right? So education as a, uh, uh, an instrument uh, or a tool for change um, seems to be a quite popular way of thinking about education, um, uh, but doesn't seem to be the only way of thinking about education. Perhaps uh, you might be able to give a sense of uh, some of the projects that you've been engaged in as you've been thinking about education as a tool, as a, uh, a mechanism for some social change, but then uh, uh, perhaps more broadly as well. Um, yeah. So first of all, I was in my PhD and postdoc work. I was interested in understanding how we got this idea that education can change society. Yeah. That was the basic thing I was looking at. And what I found is in the 18th century, until the 18th century, people thought about how can we make people better. I see. And from the 18th century, people began to think about how we can make society better. I see. Instead yeah. of improving men, yeah. they start and women, they they started thinking about how we can improve the conditions in which they live. I see. Right. And this is the big, the big change. I see. And from there, I went to study how the condition under which we live and how education affects them. I see. And specifically, I looked at economics. Okay. About economics condition and how economic thinking influences the way we think about education. So most of my current projects I've been on that. I I've been see. focused on the influence of economic thinking on education, different dimensions of this link, right. but that's what I've been studying in the last few years. And just to give our listeners a bit of an entry, so uh, uh, before getting into sort of, sort of some of the substance of the work that you've been doing, uh, maybe just a, a kind of a basic uh, um, uh, or, or, or introduction to uh, the link between uh, uh, economic thinking and education, right? I mean, um, in one sort of way of thinking of things, it's quite common to think about justifying educational policies or practices on the basis of uh, some economic aim, uh, but can you give us a sense of exactly sort of what you mean when you talk about economics and education here? Until the 1960s, yeah. most economists were reluctant to link education and the economy. Okay. They thought that education can have an influence on the economic system, mm. but they didn't want to subordinate education to the economic system. Interesting. In the 1960s, there's a turn with the development of something called human capital theory, yeah. and in which they link between education and productivity. Right. And they think that education is a key for improving productivity, mm. and then it leads to, to growth. Right. Accumulation of wealth, and from that point on, this idea was taken by more and more international organizations like the OECD, the World Bank, and so on, and also by national governments. And now this idea is so strong that it 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 dominates, I think, educational policy making. Well, it's not my idea, but this is what policy research tells us. Sure. This idea now dominates, and we see how slowly everything changes. Mm and becomes more more linked to the economy sure and it an education becomes a way to answer the needs of the economy 
Sure, yeah. So you mentioned so uh, uh, education is subordinate to economic interests, right? Um, uh, and you also mentioned that the sort of the move from thinking about individuals to thinking about sort of uh, larger social systems, um, uh, pairing those two ideas, it sounds as though what you're suggesting is that uh, a lot of economic thinking suggests that we educate the individual because the individual will then contribute to this uh, uh, larger uh, uh, economic um, uh, project that is uh, in increasing sort of uh, productivity, um, uh, increasing perhaps uh, wealth for a particular population. Uh, is that the right sort of idea? or is the, or Yeah, but the economists are not interested in indiv individual X or Y. Right. They're interested in the mass of individuals. Okay, So good. this is the project. This is good. what they're trying to do. Right. So the masses will be happy. And if on the way some individuals are put aside, sure. it's, it's okay for sure. them. Sure. As long as there is growth overall. Sure. Okay. The conditions are good for the most people. It's a utilitarian way of thinking right. in which the, the majority of people is what counts and not this or that specific individual. Right. So this utilitarian uh, uh, way of approaching education, uh, 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 if I'm hearing you correctly, um, is sort of what it is you're responding to in a lot of your projects. Uh, uh, you're responding to the way in which um, uh, this kind of thinking uh, dominates a lot of uh, our engagement and interaction with education, practice, and policy, and so forth. So uh, what have some of the responses uh, uh, been uh, that you've been able to sort of provide through your scholarship? Well, economics is based on a set of assumptions. Right. And I think as, a philosopher, as philosophers, we need to question basic assumptions. This sure. is something that philosophers do. Sure. So I was looking at what are the basic assumptions of economic theory right. and, how, and the way it relates to education. Mm. And what I've tried to do in my work is challenge some of these basic assumptions. Right. But using kind of an economic jargon. Okay. economic way of talking about the things and not just saying okay economic is completely wrong sure. it's going the wrong way but to speak their own language right. but looking for the basic assumptions and looking for normative claims right. within the way of thinking and trying to to take these apart. Right, okay, okay, interesting. And so uh, in that work, then, uh, what, sort of, uh, uh, what sort of projects then have you, have you been pursuing? I mean, so how have you then taken uh, some of these uh, uh, assumptions uh, that are uh, uh, economic assumptions uh, that have kind of uh, dominated our thinking about education? How have you, uh, in particular, how have you uh, uh, responded to those? Well, basically I had two major projects. Yeah. One about the aims of education, yeah. and I asked about what are the normative aims of education and whether what makes us happy, for example. Sure. Uh, the economics, the economists have a certain conception of happiness. Mm. Is it true? Is it something that can be defended mm. on a philosophical, from philosophical in terms, um, philosophical in philosophical terms, yeah. and all that? And the other research project was about seeing how economic instruments influence educational policy. Oh, interesting. So I was looking at things such, uh, such as cost-benefit analysis okay. and things like that and trying to understand how they shape the way we think about educational policy. Okay, okay. So in that first project, uh, it sounds as though um, the economists have this uh, conception of happiness that they uh, sort of uh, uh, understand education as kind of feeding into. Um, uh, uh, but your sense of happiness... Uh, uh, is it the same as the economist? I mean, uh, what's the uh, what's the break there that you make with uh, with the economist on that issue of happiness and education? Well, first of all, there's not one. There isn't one type of economy, right? right? Yeah. An economist. There are many different type of sure. economists. Um, some of them I'm closer to, and some sure. of them I'm further away from. 
Um, I think that basically the main difference is that their conception is very narrow. Right. And it sees economics mainly in terms of satisfying desires. I see. And okay. I think there's a problem with just focusing on satisfying desires. Right. Because people might have the wrong desires. Right. Uh, people might desire things that are not good for them. Okay. Or they might have immoral desires. But sure. economists, they don't care about those things. As long as you satisfy your desires, you're supposed to be happier. I see. So that's the main break, I think from what the economists say. I'm, I'm working more with a normative conception of happiness, of what happiness should be, I and not see. just saying that people are happy, so that's good enough for us. Right, so satisfying one's desires doesn't, is, isn't, isn't necessarily sufficient for uh, uh, realizing happiness in the way that you're uh, sort of thinking about it, such that uh, we shouldn't be thinking about education towards satisfying desires because that doesn't necessarily lead to happiness. An educational uh, sort of practice or uh, uh, institution or, or uh, a system uh, that really moves towards happiness in the robust way that you're describing it uh, might need to do some things that the economists of the sort that you're critiquing uh, wouldn't really be uh, 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 recommending or thinking about. Is, is that right? Yes, it's right, completely. Yeah. Okay. It's very accurate. I think that one of the aims of education is to shape desires, I not see. just to accept them as given. I see. I mean, this is what we do. Otherwise, why do we make kids sit in school for so long. Sure. <laughs> we, we're trying to make them somehow better. We're right. not trying to improve their desires. I know right. that it's not very popular not to talk sure. about improving people's desires, but I do think this is what, uh, what education does. Sure. Yeah, there's an interesting question there about, uh, about freedom, uh, perhaps about <laughs> a certain type of uh, liberty or autonomy, um, uh, that it seems that the economists have, a, 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 the economists that you're, uh, um, to, to whom you're responding, have a certain vision, uh, perhaps, about sort of uh, what it means to make, uh, to make choices, to be free, to choose uh, a, a course of, uh, uh, a course of, the course of one's life. Um, but it sounds as though you're suggesting that there might be ways in which we might constrain certain types of freedom in order to make a person more free, right? Or free to uh, uh, really sort of uh, experience um, uh, uh, the goods that, uh, that we ought to be after. The economists, they assume autonomy. Yeah. They assume that everybody knows what's best for him and right. everybody is autonomous. Right. Now, I don't think it is. I think autonomy is very important. I think autonomy is something we should strive for. I but see. we should teach people to be autonomous. We cannot just assume right. they're autonomous. And this right. is one of the major aims of education. Right. It's to, to actually teach, build. Build, yeah, exactly. That, uh, build an yeah. autonomy, an autonomous person. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Now, so that's, that speaks to, 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 to one sort of leg of the projects that you've, that you've been working on. You also mentioned another leg of, of projects, sort of thinking about uh, these uh, sort of the tools uh, uh, that economists use and how those tools might be... Um, uh, repurposed uh, to other aims. Can you speak a little bit about, about that as well? well maybe I'll, I'll give an example. Sure. One, of, one of the things that is used in economics is something called funding formulas. Okay. In which you have a formula of how to fund schools. Okay. Now, using a formula for funding schools, sure. it has a good, some good things and some bad things. And I think from a philosophical point of view, again, if you analyze the basic assumptions on which this tool works, and so on, you can say uh, a few things about what's good in it and what's bad sure. in using a, form, a, a formula. Right. For example, um, should we let people, or let's say uh, principals and teachers, mm. use discretion? Mm. 
in giving funding to students, or should it be set by a formula? I see. Uh, so that also has philosophical implications about freedom and so on. I see. Okay, interesting, interesting. So uh, again, maybe then both projects are kind of united, as you said earlier, uh, united by your uh, your interest in taking uh, some of the assumptions of uh, uh, of economists using the jargon, using the, 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 the sort of the tools, uh, and repurposing them towards um, uh, a wider set of aims uh, in education. Yeah, th- this is what I think, well, it's not the only thing, of, mm. but one of the things that philosophers have to do mm. is to look at basic assumptions and help people in the field understand what are the basic assumptions yeah. and what those basic assumptions lead to. Yeah, and speaking of sort of what our obligations might be as philosophers, right? So thinking about uh, what philosophers ought to be doing, as you say, uh, looking at basic assumptions and uh, sort of pressing our thinking about those. Um, to your mind, are there, are there other issues that uh, philosophers ought to attend to in education that you think at this moment we're not doing a very good job of, uh, of sort of speaking to or perhaps uh, there are some questions that we ought to return to or some approaches that uh, uh, really deserve our attention? Uh, asked differently, um, as we consider the future of philosophy of education, to your mind, which direction should we, should we be moving? Well, I'm, I'm not sure there's one direction in yeah. which we should be moving. I think different people do different kind of work. Yeah. Um, what I think that is very important that we do is to connect with people outside the philosophical community yeah. and find ways to help decision makers, teachers, and others in better understanding what they're doing. Yeah. That's, that's one direction which I think is important is also to collaborate as much as we can with people from outside the field. I see. They can give us a, a different perspective and we can help them. Right. Because a lot of work is done without any philosophical thinking right. in educational research and I think it can be made much better using a philosophical approach as well. Right. And the other thing which I think is important is making normative claims yeah. about where we should be headed, what is good, what is important, what is an educated person. I think that philosophers today are a little bit afraid of making such broad claims, and sure. I understand why. I'm also <laughs> afraid of making those claims, but I think we should make different claims about where we should be heading. Right. And I'm not sure that philosophers of education are doing enough of this at the moment. They used to in the past, for sure. Sure, sure. Dewey was sure that he knows <laughs> where we should be going. But right. I think this is, if we don't make normative claims, I think we, we lose a part of what philosophy of education can do. Because in the end, all the question of education is a normative question. Yeah. What do we educate for? What, right. what is an educated person? Right, yeah. And if we don't help to answer those questions, then then there's a void there, and, yeah. and people just uh, work on what there is instead sure. of what, what, should, what there should be. That's, re- that's really interesting. I mean, there is a, there, I think that you're quite right. There is a way in which we can think of education as being essentially uh, a normative practice, right? It's sort of different from some other, uh, uh, um, uh, if you will, phenomena of human life. Um, there is this normative core here, and that does suggest a very um, uh, immediate uh, uh, seat at the table for the philosopher doing work in education. And as you suggested, uh, it does suggest that we may need to be bold, and we may need to uh, uh, really embrace our obligations to engage that normative core in the educational project. And it sounds as though you're doing so with your work, uh, uh, especially as um, 
uh, we recognize the degree to which uh, economic thinking, unchecked un and unchallenged, uh, uh, really sort of dominates education. Uh, it sounds as though your projects really draw our attention to uh, uh, ways in which we might be able to see beyond a particularly narrow scope of, uh, of educational aims. I'm trying. I don't know if I'm succeeding, but <laughs> I'm trying. And I, I think there are some philosophers that do make those claims. But yeah. I think it's important that more will make those claims. And there shouldn't be one answer. Yeah. But we should put answers there for people to choose from. Sure, sure. Different answer for people to choose. What they think is the right aim of education. And yeah. it's a very important debate. I think it's the most important debate. Yeah. Um, just, for example, in my university, the School of Education mm. is within the, the Faculty of Humanities. Okay. And now the newer universities, it was in the Faculty of the Social Sciences. Oh, interesting. So yeah. uh, it depends whether we see education as a form of study of research in the humanities sure. or in the social sciences. And I think that the, the humanistic part of education is gradually being lost, and it's very much the role of philosophers to bring it back in. Yeah. That sounds like a fantastic place to leave our listeners with a little bit of an invitation to the very good work uh, done by you and others like you uh, working in philosophy of education. Tal, thank you so much for sitting and chatting with us. Thank you for having me. For more information and to review previous episodes, please visit www.pipeline.fm. A very special thanks to Moby for use of his song Summer with our theme.